Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Anderson, too much deflected. Into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh! Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, courtesy of Simply Safe. Every night, local police departments across America receive hundreds of calls from burglar alarms. The vast majority of the time, they have no idea whether the alarm's real. Is there really a crime going on or not? All the alarm company can tell them is that the motion sensor went off. But Simply Safe gives you a much higher level of home security. If there's a break-in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. That means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. You get comprehensive protection for your entire home, 24-7 monitoring by live security professionals. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash overtime and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash overtime so they know Play Like a Jet sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I'm joined for part two of the weekend mailbag by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. So let's jump right back into the mailbag. Next question comes in from George G. Montanez 1. He says, with all the essential one-year deals and surplus of cap space, feels like JD is playing money ball. What do you think the Jets are saving for? I don't think that they're saving for any big move and people are going to ask about Trent Williams. I don't think Trent Williams is coming here. I don't think Douglas is going to meet the asking price. I don't think he wants to pay Trent Williams the amount of money that Trent Williams would want. And even if it's true that Trent Williams isn't really asking for $20 million. You know that he wants a healthy raise over what he's supposed to get on his current Redskins deal. I still don't think that Joe Douglas would be willing to trade premium assets and then go out and pay that kind of money to a 32-year-old tackle. I don't think they're saving for any one particular move. I just think that Joe Douglas is following the philosophy of give guys short commitments without a lot of guaranteed money that you can move on quickly because you don't want to be spending money on players that are non-foundational pieces, and that's generally a sound philosophy, but 
with Darnold going into his third year, I think you had to do more, particularly on the offensive line. But I don't think that they're saving up for any one big move. I know a lot of people think that because the Jets are quote-unquote being frugal, this means that they're going to be in heavy on somebody like Trent Williams. I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I think uh, the, the correct way to look at this is, yes, they're saving up for a big move down the line when he builds up the roster mm-hmm. uh, enough. And then in a couple of years, he will start uh, making some big move splashes at that point. But not he's not doing that for a big move now. Um, you know, if something presents itself at a reasonable price, then sure, this is why you always hear about GMs talking about maintaining the flexibility. If something great presents itself and its it value matches up, then sure, he'll do it. But right now, I think it's more... He's building the team up slowly but surely. And then in a couple years down the road, then he will have that flexibility and then he will be willing to, uh, to go and make that type of move. But for this, for this season, I think it's pretty clear watching how he's gone about it that that's not, he is not doing that for this move. I know fans are still holding on to this hope. Still, the Trent Williams – it would go everything against what he's doing so far, and I, I just can't imagine. I think that move is a couple years down the road. Next question comes in from Sell the Jets Woody. He says, what do each of you feel the chances are the Jets land one of the following players? Trent Williams, Jason Peters, Cordy Glenn, Kelvin Beecham. I know the last two aren't inspiring, but they're likely upgrades over what they have. Also, who are your top five favorite bands? Mine are the Foo Fighters, followed by the Killers, Nirvana, the Beatles, and OAR. I like those picks. I don't know that I would have the Killers anywhere near my top five. Certainly wouldn't have OAR, but you can't really argue with Nirvana, the Foo Fighters, and the Beatles. I'll get back to that in a second. First, I'm going to answer the football part of this. I don't know that there's a great chance that they're going to get one of those guys. I think maybe after the draft, if Joe Douglas is looking at the roster and doesn't love what he sees in terms of offensive line, let's say he doesn't get the guys that he really wants in the draft, Maybe then if Jason Peters or Cordy Glenn are still available, he makes a phone call and sees what it would take. That's possible. I don't think there's a great chance of it. And as I said before, I don't think that they're going to get Trent Williams. As far as the music part of this, I'm going to give you kind of a cop-out answer here because off the top of my head, it's impossible for me to pick my top five. But as you brought up, the Beatles would be somewhere in the mix. I'm a huge fan of Deep Purple, the Allman Brothers. I love a lot of the grunge music. Dennis Wazak, who covers the Jets for the AP and who's been on this show a bunch of times, he and I talk a lot about heavy metal and grunge, so we'll talk about bands like you said, Nirvana and the Smashing Pumpkins and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. And then you talk about some of the great heavy metal bands, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Metallica, Megadeth, so on and so forth. So I would have to sit down and really think about it, but... All of those bands would be in the mix there. Chris, I'll let you answer the music question second. First, the football part of this question. What do you think in terms of those veterans that he brought up on the offensive line? Any chance that the Jets add those guys? Yeah, we've talked about Trent Williams. I just don't see it happening. Um, I don't see him paying out the contract. Don't see him giving up enough to, uh, to, to be able to trade for him. And I also don't see Washington being willing to trade for him or being willing to trade him. So that's out. Kelvin Beecham, I do not think wants to come back. One thing I do, I, we should 
I should mention when it comes to Jason Peters, because we keep talking about Jason Peters, like, go get him. Just go get him already. Uh, there's a very real possibility that Jason Peters would be like, wait, why am I coming to you? Like, why would I come to the Jets right now? Like, I, I'm I'm older at this point. Um, if I'm going to come back and play, he maybe he wants to play for a contender. Now, maybe he just wants to get one more check, too, so maybe he would. But we can't rule out the possibility that Peters would be like, hey, get a call from D- Joe Douglas and be like, hey, you know, I love you, man, but get out of here. I'm not coming to play with that team for in the last year of my career. And then Cordy Glenn, I think – I th- I think right now that they're pretty set at what they're going forward with an offensive line, except for the guys they add in the draft. I think that the, from what I've been told, watching this play out, seems like this is what they're the move they've made those offensive line moves. Maybe they saw, uh, you know pick somebody up from the trash heap after training camp cuts, or someone else comes shakes free. But I think the only thing you're really gonna see added here are. Uh, are guys in the draft. I actually think Peters would make so much sense for the Tampa Bay Bucks, considering yeah. the fact that Brady is there and Peters can go there for a year or two, help protect Tom Brady, maybe take that one last shot at another Super Bowl and then ride off into the sunset with Brady. Makes perfect sense to me. We'll see if that actually happens. I guess a lot of it will depend on what Tampa does in the draft and if Peters is still available later on. As far as music, Chris, I know it's going to be a very difficult question because I couldn't answer off the top of my head my top five, but just throw a couple out there that you really like. Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul have to be in there. But just to stick more on the band front, like uh, Nirvana's up there for me. Uh, I'll go with uh, The Doors and then like, uh, I I know a lot of their stuff that they, they kind of, Stole from a lot of different artists, but I really liked uh, Led Zeppelin a lot. Mm-hmm. Always, so that that's a that's another good one. But but if I'm allowed to include those rap groups, then De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest are a hundred percent at the top of the list for me. Next question comes in from Abstract Analyst. He says, few questions. First of all, gay still sucks. Okay, not really a question. Just wanted to get that off my chest. Now, here are the questions. Are the Jets serious about playing Fant at left tackle, or will they do something to get an NFL caliber tackle before the draft, during the draft, or after the draft? Also, do the Jets, unlike Cleveland and Buffalo, hate their first-round quarterback? So let's address the first part of this first. I think the current plan is that Fant will be the left tackle as a hedge in case the Jets don't get a guy that they want in the first round. If they do, then I think that Fant probably competes with Adoga for the right tackle spot. But as of now, I think that there is a plan in place where Fant could be the left tackle heading into the season, which is pretty scary, but that's a whole other story. That's where we have to hope that Joe Douglas really knows his stuff when it comes to that because everything I've seen and everybody I've talked to, there's a lot of skepticism. Now, don't get me wrong, plenty of upside, so we're not saying that he can't be good. It's just a very risky strategy. And as far as whether the Jets hate their first-round quarterback in a way that Cleveland and Buffalo don't, Listen, there's no denying that Cleveland and Buffalo, as Chris talked about before, 
have done a much, much better job of surrounding their third-year quarterbacks with the talent that they need to succeed. And the Browns are going to go into this draft and try and get more offensive line help. They already doled out money for Jack Conklin. We saw what the Bills did last offseason, paying offensive linemen. And then this year they went out and they got Stephen Diggs. They built up that defense too so that they can hold games tight so that Josh Allen doesn't have to make a ton of plays and score a ton of points. There is no denying that the Jets have not done a great job of surrounding Sam Darnold with talent. I think most of the blame for that has to go at the feet of Mike McCagnin, and now Joe Douglas is here to try and clean up the mess. He's in a tough spot because does he go for a lot of half measures and then maybe the team is somewhat competitive, but they're never really going to be a championship contender because they're probably realistically two years of moves away from really making a run? Or does he tear it all down, essentially wave the white flag on Sam Darnold's rookie deal and hope that he hits big in the draft and somehow he defies the odds and this team becomes a contender quicker than they think? He's opted to go with option B. I totally understand that, but... It is a very risky strategy, as Manish and I talked about the other day on the podcast, because you are essentially wasting Sam Darnold's rookie window unless you hit big in the draft, which, let's be honest, is a huge gamble. So I get it, and I think generally the way that you build the team is more along the lines of what Joe Douglas is doing, but as Chris said, because of this circumstance, I think he probably should have done more to surround Darnold with talent now as opposed to slow play this. I get what he's doing, but as I said with Manish, it's a very dangerous game to play considering the situation that they have with Sam Darnold entering year three. Yeah, so with Fant, I think, you know, they've signed him with the idea that if he if he's if they need him to be their left tackle, he's going to be their left tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he does give them flexibility where if they draft someone who can come in and start at left tackle right away, then he could be the right tackle or he could be a swing tackle, depending on how a Dover comes along. But maybe they draft somebody who ends up they're more comfortable with playing as a right tackle, and then Fant is there to be the left tackle. Um, but I again, I do not see them do, making any type of move here uh, big enough to uh, to make you think that uh, to upgrade it before the draft. I think the moves are going to come during the draft. That's what it is, and it depends on who's on board and what who they get and how the fit is there. I think just as I was listening to you talk, I think I realized what one of my main frustrations here with this whole situation for Sam Darnold is obviously. At me and you and everyone listening here can agree that Sam Darnold is a better quarterback. Who's a better quarterback coming out of college? He's a better quarterback right now than these other two guys I mentioned. But I start. I'm gonna. I'm about to mention. But I started covering this team in the second year of Rex Ryan and Mark Sanchez, the the two back to back AFC championship teams. The second year of that is when I started covering this team. The next year. They started taking offensive linemen and weapons away from Mark Sanchez. Geno Smith came, and they just never gave him enough. They signed Eric Decker, you pointed out when we were talking about this earlier, but they didn't have an off- uh, even a halfway decent offensive line. It was Eric Decker and Jeremy Curley. They didn't give either of those two guys enough weapons, and they actually uh, – offensive line was a mess. They didn't have enough weapons, and both those – players failed and and flamed out and maybe they would have no matter what they did but 
they didn't do enough to help them. I don't think you can look at that and say within any reason that they did. And so it's frustrating all these years later, and now you got a better quarterback, but they're making the same mistakes over and over again, and they're doing the same thing by not getting their young quarterback uh, enough help. And I, I, it's just it's maddening to me. And uh, I just it's it's you look at what Cleveland and what Buffalo's doing, and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work, but at least they're doing everything they can to try. If Josh Allen doesn't work out this year, it's just because Josh Allen can't get it done. They did everything they could to help him. They built a, an awesome offense around him, and it's going to be obvious to everyone that if he can't do it with this offense, he can't just can't get it done. With Sam Darnold, we're going to be scratching our head trying to figure out exactly what it means based on how this offense is constructed right now. Next question comes in from Ryan O'Keefe. He says, let's say the usurper's gone at the end of the year. Do you think it would be easier to sell the job to a new coach with Le'Veon Bell here or without him? I honestly think that barring something unforeseen happening like Le'Veon Bell having an insanely great year this coming year, Le'Veon Bell's gone at the end of the year anyway. They're going to release him because the cap implications are practically none by that point. And I think that Joe Douglas would never have signed Le'Veon Bell in the first place. Certainly Adam Gase didn't want him. And unless Bell really does well this year, there's very little chance that he's going to be back. So I think ultimately this ends up being a moot question. Yeah, and I don't think it would be a, a, a big sway either way to a coach. Uh, a running back, at, like, if it is a big sway to that coach, then that coach probably wants to be like a run first, pound the ball type of guy, and you probably don't want that coach. But I, I don't think it matters because after the season is over, Le'Veon Bell is going to get cut and he's going to go somewhere else. Only way I think it could sway a coach is if Le'Veon Bell comes in here this upcoming season and plays the way that he did with Pittsburgh. If he does that, then maybe a coach looks at that and says, wow, that could be a great dual weapon. I've got Sam Darnold. This could be interesting. But short of that, I don't think it's really going to sway anybody one way or the other. Next question comes in from Brian Gowiski. He says, I'm warming up to the idea of trading Jamal Adams. This team has a long way to go. A couple of first-rounders would help rebuild this thing. What do you guys think? This is a really fascinating question, and I was talking to Luke Grant about this the other day, and he and I were going back and forth on it. If you listen to the podcast when all the problems were going on with Jamal Adams, I said trade him and get a good deal for him. He's just a safety move on. However, from that point, Jamal Adams played insane football. Greg Williams unlocked him, and we realized that he's not just a safety. What he is is what Daniel Jeremiah would classify as a defensive playmaker. Now, I'm not saying he's as good as Troy Palomalu, but sort of along those lines. He's all over the field, making plays in every area of the game, and he's a player that's extremely difficult to replace in a way that a regular safety is not. I understand the idea of trading him because, as you said, this team has very few foundational pieces. They're lacking at almost every key area on the football field. It's going to be a couple of years before they're good again, and by that point, you'd have to pay Jamal Adams. But 
Jamal is 24, and as I said, he's transformed from just a safety into a defensive playmaker and a legitimate foundational piece. To me, this team has so few foundational pieces that are young that I just wouldn't want to trade him unless they got bowled over. Listen, if a team called up and offered two first-round picks, I'd certainly listen to it. But I think for the reasonable offers that you're going to get, which might be a first and maybe a mid-round pick or a first and some backup player or something like that, I wouldn't be willing to do it for that. I'd be willing to consider it for a huge trade offer, but other than that, I think you have to keep him because he's such a rare commodity in the NFL now that we know what he actually is. And the Jets have so few players that can really make a difference on the football field. And it's not like he's older. If he was 28, I'd say, sure, go ahead and move on. But he's 24. He could probably give you another really good five, six years. I would keep him unless somebody bowls me over. Yeah, it it all depends on what the trade offered is that we're talking about. You know, if somebody somebody wants to give two first round picks and a, a second or third, then yes, I'm absolutely doing that. The thing is, and of course, this is the case. This is always the case. I think that fans dreaming about trading Jamal Adams are thinking they're going to be able to get more in return than what I think they'd actually be able mm-hmm. to get in return. So what I think, if if they were to go ahead and trade him, I think the most that they'd get back for him probably wouldn't be enough for me to trade mm-hmm. uh, trade him. Um, I just don't think they're going to get enough for, it, uh, for him to do that. Uh, if you're doing it where it's just, a first round pick and, you know, a third or a first, like you said, a first and a player that that's not enough because then you have one, one pick to get somebody that has an impact like Jamal Adams, maybe at a different position. So if you go with an offensive lineman, you could, you could say if that offensive lineman is 80% as good as his job as Jamal is at his job, then that could be a win for you, but you have to nail that pick. And, um, and so it's really hard to to for me to think that they're going to be able to get somebody or get enough of a, 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 in return for him for it to be worth it. I just don't don't see them getting as much as a lot of fans probably think and hope that they'd be able to get for him. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. 
Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. Next question comes in from Damian Shaw. He says, with all the things the Jets have done so far, do you think they will win more than four games this year? There's still moves to be made, obviously, in the draft and after the draft. The bulk of free agency is done, though. So unless they make some sort of move for somebody like Jason Peters or a big trade for Trent Williams, I don't think either one of those is likely to happen. That area is mostly closed off, so you're looking at the draft. It's hard to believe that they're going to have a draft that's so good that these guys are all going to come in year one and contribute at a super high level. So you have to play it based on the odds. As far as four wins, I don't know about four wins, but I do think that this team is due for a major regression potentially. Now, obviously, there are things that could happen. Sam Darnold could have the light switch go on, and he becomes an elite quarterback, and all of a sudden this team is much better than we anticipated. You could have something like Rashad Perriman all of a sudden completely replicates what he did the last few games in Tampa, and holy cow, the Jets got the biggest bargain of all time. You could have George Fant go out there and live up to all the high upside potential that some people believe he has. If all these things happen, yeah, the Jets could have a really good year, but if you're looking at it realistically, I think right now you would have to say that the Jets, because they're playing a much tougher schedule against better quarterbacks and a much harder road schedule too, there's a very good chance they're going to win fewer games than they did last year. Is it going to be four games? I don't know about that, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if they won five or six. We'll see what happens in the draft and if they make some sort of move after the draft. But as of this moment, I wouldn't be shocked based on all of the factors I outlined if the Jets won five or six games. Yeah, let me start with what you were talking about, about, yes, the possibility that Brashad Perriman finally uh, clicked for him completely and he's able to just go with that. And maybe uh, George Fant, is able to do that. Maybe Sam Darnold takes these next two. Those are all possibilities. It, it is possible for all those things to happen individually or all those things happen together. But you're, you're playing percentages here, mm-hmm. and those percentages of those things happening are not high. It is possible, so maybe we end up being wrong, but they're not high. So the likelihood of all that happening is very, very low here. And – um yeah, they're going to have a much harder schedule. Again, I, I feel like I'm the only one who wants to keep harping on this, but the offseason uh, shortened is going to be a lot harder for new, new pieces, new parts. Talked about the offensive line and how important cohesion is. They're going to have a lot – they're going to have less time to do that. That's going to – teams that are bringing back the same offensive line as last year are going to have a huge leg up on other offensive lines like the Jets, who's – all these new parts have to learn together. 
Uh, they have a much harder schedule, especially the, the travel. And then you got to look at the games that they actually ended up winning last year. Um, they're not, they're not going to win a lot of those games next year. Um, they're, they're not going to have those types of teams on their roster, uh, on their schedule. Um, it's four wins. Get, I, I'm with you. I'd say probably five. I, I wouldn't, won't be surprised at all if they only get four wins next year. We're going to have to, obviously, that's me saying this now before the draft. So if he goes and knocks it out of the park, that, that could change things. Um, you know, as training camp goes on, maybe they uh, everything lends in uh, their more cohesive unit uh, than expected right away. But right now, I'm certainly not going to be surprised. I would say it's most likely going to be between four and six wins right now. Next question comes in from Sean Stalker. He says, Scott and the very big deal, Chris Nimbley. Joe Caparoso and others have pointed out one-year deals may mean that Bam Bam is open to a new coach in 2021. Do you guys see it the same way? Also, how would somebody who's so skilled in backstabbing like the usurper not see what Douglas is up to? So let's talk about this because Manish, Connor, Joe, Michael Palace from the Jet Up Bleeding Green podcast have all talked about this as well. I don't think that Joe Douglas is setting Adam Gase up to fail. I think he's building this team up the way that he thinks it needs to be built up. I also don't think that he's intending to move on from Adam Gase at this moment. However, he has put himself in position that if he does want to move on from Adam Gase, he certainly could fairly easily because the deck is completely cleared. As far as Gase the usurper seeing or not seeing what Joe Douglas is up to, he may be seeing what Joe Douglas is up to, but realistically, he may also think that this is his best chance because maybe he's already putting together a strategy for how he can deflect blame because he can say the cupboard was bare and they're in the middle of a rebuild or whatever it is that he's putting together here as far as strategy to pitch to ownership if things don't go well. Maybe he's planning to blame Darnold if Darnold doesn't play well again this year. I really couldn't say, but I think that Douglas is doing this because he feels this is the best way to build the team. I don't think that it necessarily means he's not committed to Gase for now, but he also is obviously putting himself in a position where if he wanted to move on from Gase, he could. And as far as Gase, you never know what the rattlesnake is up to. The usurper works in mysterious ways. Yeah, you know, this is a weird, uh, funny thing, because the idea that Gase or that Douglas is doing all this uh, one-year deal and it and that he's even doing any of it with Gates in mind sounds kind of, uh, you know, conspiracy theory tin foil hattie to me. But at the same time, it's hard to really look at and dispute. Where I will point out um, where you could dispute it is it's not just Joe Douglas doing this. There's a lot of one-year contracts being uh, thrown around mm -hmm. all over the league, and especially one year in reality. Uh, you're seeing a lot of the two-year, three-year deals that are, for all intents and purposes, one-year deals. And this is just kind of the new normal, and I think that this year even more so we're getting that because we know that we're going to see a huge jump in the CB and the salary cap in these next coming years. So I think that's, that's a little – bit too much reading into it but at the same time if they have a disappointing season this year and like we were just saying four to six wins uh 
if they're especially if they're closer to the four win, I do think at that point Joe Douglas would be willing to pull the trigger and fire Gase. But I don't think that Joe Douglas is sitting there going into this season expecting to be firing Gase at the end of the season. So he's only holding signing place so, uh, hold, uh, placeholders until he can fire Gase. I just I think that's a little bit of a reach. Um, I I just think this is how he's going about building the team, and I think this is a a lot of players are looking for these shorter deals right now so they can re up afterwards. Next question comes in from Jets Joe seventy three. He says, "If Greg Williams is able to keep the defense around top ten in twenty twenty, should he be considered for the head coaching job in twenty twenty one? If Adam Gase is let go, yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying I'd necessarily hire him for the job, but if he does that level of work with this defense again, considering how much harder the schedule is going to get and the level of quarterbacks they're going to be playing." And the fact that, let's be honest, he's going into this season with not the best situation at cornerback, so you know that it's going to be difficult to defend the pass. He's going to have to get really creative. I would 100% consider him. Whether or not you would ultimately hire him for the job is another story, and he's got a pass to consider when it comes to that. But there's no reason he shouldn't get an interview and legitimate consideration if the Jets are able to perform really well this year on defense because we already know that the defensive players seem to respect him. And it sounds like the offensive players do too, although they don't work as closely with him. So I would hope that if he does well and if special teams does well, that both Williams and Boyer would get interviews and serious consideration at the end of the season if they move on from Gase. Here's the thing, and this is going to be the thing if, from now until the end of time and or until it happens. Will any team be willing to put Greg Williams, uh, architect of Bounty Gate, in charge of their full football operations there as mm-hmm. a coach? That's because everything else about Greg Williams, yes, he deserves it. But is a team going to be comfortable with that guy? Uh, and remember last year in training camp, we were talking about this and how he like was refusing to take any uh, responsibility for it. And I still acting like it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, I just think that teams are going to be hesitant to do that. I, in fact, I know there's a lot of teams who will say no, no matter what, just because of that. Now, it's just, we talk about this a lot when it comes to players being drafted or traded. It only takes one. It only takes one team to say it. So it, I, I won't rule out the possibility. But from just a strictly football point of view, sure, absolutely, he deserves that. And, uh, and I would expect that. But the bounty gate thing is going to be a dark cloud hanging over him until – that one team shows up and says, Hey, I'll take another chance on you. I just, I, I don't know how to, uh, you know, weigh all that and to, to, uh, if I should expect it to happen or not, I, I would lean no, but all again, just takes one team. No question about it. That's why I didn't come out and say I would hire Greg Williams. I just said that I would absolutely give him consideration for the job and a legitimate interview. And then after you talk to him, after you talk to the players, after you sit down and have a heart-to-heart with everybody in the organization, then you can figure out which direction you want to go. But I think if he does a really good job this year, you have to at least give him a thought as a potential head coach. Next question comes in from Damian at Quicker Than Fast. He says... 
Of these three, who do you think could be the next head coach of the Jets? Stanford head coach David Shaw, Indianapolis Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus, and Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. Thank you guys and be well. You be well too, Damian. As far as who I would hire from that group, my first choice would be David Shaw because we've seen what he can do in terms of being innovative offensively, how he's built the program there. He's a leader of men. His players respect him. So if you're making me choose from those three, that would be what I would go to first. As far as Indy's defensive coordinator, honestly, I'd have to talk to my guy George Bremer about that a little bit more and get more information on him because I don't know enough. And Eric Bieniemy, I want to see what he does this year because honestly, there are a lot of question marks for me with him. I know a lot of people love him, but here's the thing with Bieniemy: He's never called plays. He's got a checkered past. If you go back and research him, there's a lot of stuff in his background that is not so good, and I think that's part of why he hasn't gotten a head coaching job yet. I also want to see more from him in terms of if the offense ends up doing something different. Because remember, this is sort of the same thing that happened with Adam Gase in Denver, where he took over from Mike McCoy, and Mike McCoy had the offense as number one, and Adam Gase kept it as number one. It's not like he reinvented the wheel. Same thing kind of happened in Kansas City from Nagy to Biennemi. And to be honest with you, even though Nagy called some plays down the stretch and did pretty well in Kansas City, His hiring in Chicago is not looking great because everybody was kissing his butt after year one and now it's starting to fall apart. Trubisky looks terrible and all of a sudden he's not the quarterback whisperer that everybody thought he was. So I have questions about the enemy. I'd like to see what he does this year and then maybe I'll revisit this one. But as of now, I don't know that I would go with him as my choice. Of the three that you listed, I would absolutely go with Shaw. There are other guys that I would consider. I think if Todd Monken does well at Georgia this year, he's a guy that I would bring back for another interview. I really like his history. I like the work that he's done in a variety of different areas as head coach and offensive coordinator, player development, so on and so forth. And I also think that the Jets know him already from interviewing him the first time, and he was the runner-up for the job. So I think he's someone I would strongly consider. I'd go through the college ranks. I'd go through coordinators. Robert Salah is a guy that a lot of people like from the 49ers, so maybe he's a possibility. I don't think he would ever take the job, but I would at least put in a call to Kirk Ferentz. He's been in Iowa for 20-plus years, obviously knows how to build a program, and if there's anyone that can rebuild this offensive line, it's him. So those are some options, but of the guys you listed, David Shaw would be number one by far for me. Yeah, so I, admittedly, I don't know much about um, the Colts' defensive coordinator. I, I don't I don't know too much about him enough to uh, have – an opinion one way or the other there. Um, they, I'm going to say no to David Shaw because uh, I've seen him w- run far too many fullback dives. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. Me and a good friend of mine would watch Stanford games and just watch these fullback dives and just sit there and just go nuts about it. And any, any coach that calls that many fullback dives, just scratch, you're, you're off my list. I'm sorry. There's a, there's a lot to like about David Shaw as a person, as coach, as a leader of all that stuff. But you run that many fullback dives and you can't be my coach. Nope, sorry. So from that list, I would go be enemy. But I do agree with everything you said there about the concerns. But I I just like the idea that he'd be coming from, a, you know, an aggressive, creative offense. And you would think that he'd at least be trying aggress- aggressive, creative things. Um so from that list, I would go there. 
Um, I haven't started, you know, I, I, we still have a whole season to go whenever they start the season of gays. So it's not like I'm sitting here, uh, going through and looking at all these coaching possibility candidates. I haven't given it any thought, but right now, yeah, I'm with you Ed, that we can go back to a couple of years ago and just, just bring me Tom, uh, Todd Monken. Just, just do it. I, I, I wanted them to, I thought they should have hired him instead of Gase. Mm-hmm. And if they get rid of Gase, then go ahead and just bring him to me now. Next question from Michael Christopher. Have you heard anything about Albert Wilson? Surprised Miami hasn't cut him yet. Do you think Douglas would sign him considering the wide receiver situation and his connection to Adam Gase? I think it's certainly a possibility. A lot of it depends on what happens in the draft and if Miami actually does release him. Last I had heard, they probably were going to unless he agreed to take less money. So if he does get cut with the Gase connection, if they can get him on a one-year deal, kind of fits the pattern, I'd be fine with it. But I'm curious to see what they do in the draft first. Yeah, if Albert Wilson becomes available, then yeah, I absolutely think that Gase would would want to sign him. And I think that Albert Wilson would probably... uh, be call his agent and be like, Hey, see if the jets will take me. But yeah, how much impact that's going to have, how much that'll help. I don't know. It, it'll largely depend on um, what they do in the draft and, you know, wh- what Perriman brings. Um, but yeah, if, if he becomes available, uh, then I would, I would be, uh, I don't, I don't want to go as far as say I'd be shocked if Adam Gase didn't sign him. It depends on when he becomes available, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I would ex- I would expect there's a high high percentage chance that if he becomes available, Adam Gase will uh, take him. Last question comes in from AZ Jets fan 16. He says, what do you think the best move was that the Jets made in free agency? I think Chris and I are probably going to agree on this. Connor McGovern easily, because that's a guy that can be a solid to above average starter for the next couple of years at a position where they really need it. I don't really love the Fant move for a variety of reasons that we've talked about. I don't really love the Van Roten move for a variety of reasons that we talked about. Not that it's necessarily a terrible move. I just don't think it's that great of a move. Not a huge fan of the Perriman move. I'm fine with them bringing back their own players. The Jenkins move is solid. One year, five million. I don't think that he's a long-term solution, but on a one-year deal, that's cool. I do like the Pierre Desir move. Not that I think Pierre Desir is going to be anything special, but if he could be even as good as, say, Morris Claiborne was in 2017, if he can stay healthy. And Claiborne was an okay number two level corner, even though they didn't have an actual number one. But if he can do that, then that's a big win for the price and certainly an upgrade over Daryl Roberts at a position where they really needed one. So I would say Connor McGovern, my favorite move, and the runner-up move would be Pierre Desir. See, I'm going to flip it there on you. And I think Connor McGovern was the best move uh, to make that they made. He, he is going to help their team the most. But I'm going to look at take a slightly different approach to this. Pierre Desir was my favorite move that he made. And it's not just about bringing Desir. I just – the way that he waited out the cornerback market, didn't get involved with, uh, with a lot of the guys getting overpaid. He sat that out, and then he waited for a Pierre Desir type to become available, and then he pounced on it. Um, as far as a roster construction GM move, I like the way he went about that the most. That's my favorite way for – judge uh, the GM 
so that's that's going to get my answer. But I do agree that the most impactful, the most um, meaningful, helpful, all that stuff, McGovern was was the best signing for him. But my favorite, just everything about it, how he waited out the market, he waited, and then all of a sudden, Pierre Desir's available and pounce got him at a reasonable price on a short term deal. And that that's just a great move and exactly how I thought he should have played that out. That'll wrap up the weekend mailbag. As always, Chris, thanks for joining me. Thank you for sending in your questions. We'll be doing a bunch of these mailbags over the next couple of weeks leading up to the draft. I know you're going to have a lot of questions. I'm going to see if we can get some guests to join us as well. I'm going to reach out to Clayton Smarslock, who I really, really love talking to about the draft. And I know that everybody really enjoyed when he came on to share his insights live from the Senior Bowl. So we'll try to get Clayton on to answer some questions leading up to the draft. In the meantime, Chris, I know you've got plenty of stuff up right now at your website, JetsInsider.com. So what do you got cooking? Yeah, uh, Michael Nanny, I posted a couple of, you know, uh, grading the uh, the new guys, the free agency moves so far. He's got a part one and part two up there. Uh, today, I'm going to take some time for take the mental health. I'm going to binge watch Ozark, um, <laughs> the new season of Ozark. I've been looking forward to it for the past two weeks of, of this quarantine. So I'm going to take my time and tear through that. But then after that, I'm going to start focusing on uh, all the draft content. So I'm going to start watching more stuff this weekend and the next week. I will be pumping out a whole bunch of draft content, so there will be a lot coming forward for that. Go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter, at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.